Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I'm Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, student of spirit, and wellness entrepreneur. And I'm Karek Morinaga, interactive online yoga teacher, podcast host, and YouTube creator. Every week, we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga principle, philosophy, or theme. This week's topic is Purusha and Prakriti. Lots of different ways to translate what these terms mean. So, Carrick, let's just jump right in. I think as a starting point, we'll think about Purusha and Prakriti through two separate lenses. And the first lens is to look at Purusha and Prakriti from a very classical point of view. And then we'll shift a little bit and look at it through a slightly different lens. We'll look at it through the lens of tantric philosophy. Purusha and Prakriti, we can give different definitions to them. And in the classical view from the Samkhya system, Samkhya means enumeration, and it's a very classical way of looking at the universe, looking at yoga. And at the very top of the cosmology chart, there's a chart of, I think it's 24 or 25 different classifications of reality. At the very top of the chart are Purusha and Prakriti. I have a textbook definition from the yoga tradition by George Feuerstein. Purusha is, quote, innumerable transcendental selves, which are pure consciousness, omnipresent and eternal, end quote. And Prakriti, is nature is a vast composite or multidimensional structure created by the interplay of three primary forces, the dynamic qualities called gunas. So Purusha is the transcendental state. I often use the term spirit. In yoga, we very often use the term consciousness. And then Prakriti is everything else, is nature, is the physical world, is quote-unquote the real world or reality. Prakriti is what we experience with our bodies, our minds, and Prakriti is the world that we live in. So you have two broad categories, two realities, if you will. You have the reality of Purusha, spirit, and you have the reality of Prakriti, manifestation. And the two categories are very separate. They don't really cross over. It's two separate realities. And this is where we get the term dualistic philosophy. Purusha and Prakriti are the two realities that make up the dualistic philosophy of classical yoga. So what you're saying is that from the classical perspective, Purusha and Prakriti are separate. And this is very different than the way we conceive of reality through tantric philosophy which is what Anusara is based upon and the way that I generally look at life. So this is, this is different. We're looking at spirit and the material as separate from this perspective. And like you said, it's, it's these two separate entities that don't intermingle. So there is spiritual experience and then there is 
uh, worldly experience. And so from the classical perspective, these things never overlap. And this is often the way people see things. We think of being in spiritual practice when we are in meditation or chanting or doing something that feels distinctly spiritual. And then we end our spiritual practice and then we go back to our real lives from this perspective. Tantric perspective combines the two and we'll, we'll get into that a bit later, but this implies a level of polarity between the spiritual and the material, which is, which is an interesting lens to look at things. In addition to it implying that polarity, these two opposites, it also implies a hierarchy. And very often, Purusha is held above Prakriti. So when you're talking about a spiritual practice, sitting and meditating and being very still and denying the body, quieting the body to the point where it doesn't interact or move or it's almost like we're subduing or subjecting the body so that we can be more spiritual. And then things like running outside and enjoying a day at the beach or playing in the park or exercising or doing an asana practice, those things are somehow lesser because they're more prakritic or they're more prakriti. They're more connected to nature and less connected to consciousness. So the hierarchy is that Purusha is somehow better or higher than Prakriti. That's very difficult for you and I, Phoebe, because as Anusar teachers, we really believe that the asana practice, our physical bodies, our ability to go outside and play in the sun is just as important. It's just as spiritual. It's just as good as sitting and meditating for an hour or chanting for two hours or whatever. So we, in our points of view, you and I, put everything on a level playing field because everything is spirit. We just believe that there's one reality, everything is spirit, and not this dualistic, separated polarity of Purusha and Prakriti, which also has this hierarchy. And we don't subscribe to that. And I think this is why we're having a hard time talking about it. Yeah, it's taking me a minute to process it because in a sense, I've undone this belief since becoming a student of tantric philosophy. But it, it makes me realize that from the classical perspective, engaging with the body, it's like it's cheating in a sense. It's, it's something that takes away from your spiritual practice. So I'm thinking of certain meditation teachers that will lead you to remain totally still to disengage with your body because by engaging with your body, you're staying in the physical realm, which is exactly what you're saying. It's a lesser realm. And from a, a non-dual perspective, we look at the body and the physical experience as in the same realm, as no different. It's denser. Our, our bodies are much denser than spirit. So it's, I think of it as being pulled down to the ground more so than spirit, but it's no, there isn't the hierarchy. And this is where it gets interesting. And again, nothing against classical yoga. These are all different 
lenses, but it, it does, it gives me a lot of perspective on how this can shape your view of reality as well as your view of yourself. I love that you mentioned that it's not to put classical philosophy down. It's certainly valuable. There are times when I do like to think of things as more dualistic. When I'm sick, when I'm injured, I really want to just think that that is my body and my spirit is completely separate. If someone is, you know, struggling and it helps them to remind themselves that there's this very physical experience and that physical experience will pass and then we can have this completely separate spiritual experience. If that is a helpful way to think, then I'm all for it. Especially as tantric philosophers, we can borrow from the classical system of yoga when it serves us. And it often does. I, so I think that it's not something that we throw out. It's not like we never talk about it. it it's something that can be valuable and it's, it's all spirit anyway, from the tantric point of view. So even this view of Purusha and Prakriti being these separate realities or realms is, is just another manifestation of spirit. And so may we honor that and remember that. As we're talking about it, I realized that I've been thinking in very dual terms. As we're recording this, we are in the first week of quarantine from the coronavirus. And the way that I've been looking at my experience, I've been feeling like the virus is somehow separate from spirit. And so the same rules don't apply. And it's left me feeling a little bit uncomfortable at moments. But then looking at this experience from a tantric, from a, a non-dual perspective, allows me to realize that the experience is not separate from anything. It is, it's still spirit. It's still the, the same rules of the universe apply. And, you know, everyone's different in terms of what perspective perspective helps you process and digest everything. But I notice myself kind of vacillating between the two perspectives. And just for me personally, thinking of the virus and the experience that we're having as still part of the spiritual experience brings me a little bit more peace than thinking of it as something that's pulling us away. Let's make the shift in perspective to the tantric lens in the tantric philosophy, we have Shiva and Shakti, which in many ways are very similar to Purusha and Prakriti. Shiva represents supreme consciousness, represents the unmanifest spiritual realm, and Shakti is the power of supreme consciousness. Shakti is the power of manifestation. Shakti creates and manifest everything in the universe. And they're very similar to Purusha and Prakriti. However, in the tantric lens, Shiva and Shakti are now one. They're one reality. There's just spirit. And Shiva and Shakti become more like, instead of two separate realities, I think of them as two sides of the same coin. So you cannot have a coin 
with only one side. It's not possible. You have to have two sides. You can have a two-headed coin and have the same thing be on each side, but it still has two sides. And then in the coin that is the tantric philosophy, you have Shiva on one side and Shakti on the other side. You can never have one without the other. You're always going to have the two together. And they serve different purposes and they have different qualities, but they make up the same coin, which is everything, all of reality, all of consciousness, all of manifestation in the one coin. I love the visual of the coin because you can't have a coin with only one side. In fact, trying to make myself think of that kind of bends my brain. And what I started thinking about is realizing to have a human, in some ways the human experience is like a coin because you can't have a human without a body and you can't have a human without consciousness. If you only have, if you only have consciousness, then there's nothing manifest. There's nothing to engage in the world with. And if you don't have consciousness, then you're just a body. And so in some ways, we are all coins with both sides and both are equally as important. And this is where it, it just makes, it makes sense to me to not look at these things as separate because though they are differentiated, they're essential to create our reality. So they, they come together to create humans and then all of the other you know, everything in our reality is consciousness and then it's material manifestation. So really everything in our experience is a two-sided coin. In the tantric philosophy, and we're really speaking more to a specific tantric philosophy, which is Kashmir Shaivism, we have Shiva and Shakti at the very top, and we still have Purusha and Prakriti within our sort of map of the cosmos. If Shiva and Shakti represent the very top of the chart or the top of the map, then Purusha and Prakriti are a few steps below and Shakti is the power of manifestation and she creates everything in the universe, including you and me, including the stars and the galaxies and this planet and everything down to the smallest atom. And within that structure, within Shakti, then Shakti becomes each of us, just as you mentioned, Phoebe, we are human beings with both a spirit and a body. And then Purusha and Prakriti then become the individual consciousness. Each of us has uh, our own consciousness and each of us has our own body. So then Prakriti would be our physical nature and Purusha would be our individual consciousness. And we can think of it in those terms. We're still a part of Shakti. We're still a part of Shiva and Shakti above us, but we're just contracted forms. So the way that Shiva and Shakti, the, the one spirit becomes individuals is that Shakti chooses to contract and divide and subdivide and create everything in the universe, all the things that I mentioned. And then we each are little contracted versions of the bigger spirit. And we each have similar qualities 
if not the same qualities and properties of the bigger spirit. So we have an individual consciousness and we have an individual physical nature. And we can think of Purusha and Prakriti in those terms as that individual consciousness and, and our bodies or our primordial physical nature. I also like to think of Purusha as potential and Prakriti as what fills that potential. But I think of Purusha as a glass and then Prakriti as all the different things that you can fill the glass with. You can fill it with water, you can fill it with coffee, you can fill it with all these different manifestations. And then as I'm thinking about it, though, you can kind of argue the other thing. You can think of the glass as Prakriti as material manifestation and then Purusha as the potential for what can go into the glass. So you can, you can look at it from both angles, but yeah, this, I love the idea of sort of the potential and then what manifests in the field of the potential. I think the challenge is that Purusha and Prakriti, we can try to come up with different analogies and metaphors. And the challenge is that anything that we can come up in, in the physical world is just going to be an approximation and won't always be like a perfect match for what Purusha and Prakriti actually are. But I like that. To me, in your first, the first way that you described it, it's like the space in the glass is the potential and then the water fills that space. You kind of have to ignore the glass itself in the first analogy. And then in the second one, if the glass is our bodies, the vessel, and I, I like to think of us that way, our, our bodies are just this physical container, a glass, a vessel, and then Purusha is the spirit that's poured into our bodies. The glass is more dense, it's solid, like our bodies, more or less. And then the water is fluid, it can evaporate, it can freeze, it can change state very easily relative to the glass. And, and that's like our, our spirits inhabiting our bodies, inhabiting our vessels. Another way that I like to think about Purusha and Prakriti is we can think of a movie being projected on a screen which I feel like that's a dying art now. We, we don't go to movies, I don't go to movies as much. We can get things on demand and they're on smaller screens in our homes and things like that. But imagine going to a movie theater, that might have been a while from now, but you're in the movie theater and the light of the movie being projected on the screen, the light is Purusha. And you can't really, you can't really see that light. You can only see what the light hits. The light hits the screen and then the movie comes to life. Purusha would be the, the light of consciousness and then Prakriti is the screen, is the image on the screen, is what unfolds on the screen. And, then, and that's the, the manifest world, the world that's happening in the movie. Now, in that analogy, it's not perfect either, because then the question is, well, what is the projector? And you kind of have to ignore that. You have to ignore the projector. 
the projector is neither Purusha nor Prakriti. I guess it's part of Purusha. I don't know. Anyway, kind of like the glass didn't fit perfectly with the analogy in my movie analogy, the projector can be problematic. And this is what I think makes philosophy so interesting is that we can get really close to conveying these concepts, but we can never fully do it. And in some ways I sense that that was a, an intentional design of our being so that it would keep us busy contemplating. Because if one day, if I just came in one day and dropped a metaphor in this podcast that explained how consciousness and all of it worked, then it would just be like game over. But there's what's so cool about all of this is that we'll never quite get there. And it it gives us that, for me at least as a philosopher, it, it gives us the the sort of energy to keep going and keep trying with the realization that we're never going to completely convey it as long as we're in these forms. I'm happy we're sort of talking through this because sometimes I get a little hard on myself because I'm like, I just want to land the best way to explain this. But in realizing there's always going to be a puzzle piece missing from the puzzle of our experience. And it, it gives us, in some ways, this is what leads to philosophy discussions, but all of art, things that people write and speak about and paint and create, it's so often fueled by attempting to convey the vastness between Purusha and Prakriti and and really just the dance of all of consciousness. So in some ways, it's such a gift that none of these metaphors entirely work. I like to think of yoga philosophy as a map for navigating through life, for navigating the path to higher consciousness. And today we looked at two different maps, the classical map where Purusha and Prakriti were at the top of that map. And then we went to the tantric philosophy where Purusha and Prakriti are a little bit lower in the structure of that map. We can use either map and get to our destination. One map is not necessarily better than the other. They're just different. If I gave you a map to get to the store down the street, I could grab a pencil and paper and scribble the map to get you where you need to go. Or I could let you borrow my phone and you can pull up Waze and, or Google Maps and have a much more detailed map. Which map is better? You can't really say that one is better than the other. You know, maybe Waze takes you in the wrong direction or maybe my scribbling is not legible. Or maybe my pencil map is just simpler and easier to follow and you don't get confused by the detail of what's on the phone. Just because a map is more detailed doesn't mean that it's better. Just because a map is simpler doesn't mean that it's better. They're just different. And one person might find the pencil map easier to navigate than the phone. I can think of a lot of people who that would work for. And for some people, the other would be true. 
And yoga philosophy, all of the different philosophies are just different maps. And we each have to find which one is going to get us to where we want to go. To your point, there's not a perfect map. If there was, someone would leak that to everybody and we'd all be there already, but we're not. And so we keep searching and we keep creating our own maps, our own guides to move along this journey to our best selves, to our highest consciousness, to our biggest awareness. I love, I love this idea of maps. I've never thought of it this way. And what it helps me realize is, especially as we were talking about classical yoga, and again, I don't want to convey any judgment or hierarchy on classical yoga. And this is why the maps perspective is so helpful. There are hundreds of routes to get from point A to point B. And, and one route it's such an individual experience of which is the best route. One may be the shortest, but that's not necessarily the best. One may be the most scenic. One may be the one that takes you by your favorite coffee shop. One may be one where you always pass an attractive guy as you're walking. One may be one where you can, that takes a little bit longer, but you can catch up with your mom on the phone. So there are hundreds of routes between point A and point B and our path as students of life is deciding which one feels the best for us. Do we want it to be scenic? Do we want it to be short? Do we want it to be fun? Do we want it to be on the shady side of the street or the sunny side of the street? And, but it's all neutral. And I think what is important is for all of us to realize that we're all going to opt for different routes but that we're all intending to get to point B. That's what brings us together. And then you and I, I think we, we share a, um, a passion for a particular route and that's why we're friends and that's why we like to talk about it. And other people have all these other different routes and they're cool too. And so you, you kind of find your people who like walking the same route and it's also really interesting to hear about people who like a different route. And this is where we have this shared collective and individual experience. And this is where the, the individual and collective are also two sides of the same coin because we're all just trying to move from point A to point B. The reason that this conversation really went in this direction of talking about maps and routes is that Purusha and Prakriti, as well as Shiva and Shakti, are part of a mapping of existence. One of the things that yoga philosophy sometimes attempts to do is explain existence. And there's a system of, I think it's 25 tattvas. Tattva means thatness, literally means thatness, but it's like a principle of the universe. So there are a system of 25 tattvas that map the Samkhya system and they describe the whole universe. Everything is defined by these 25 different principles, tattvas. And Purusha and Prakriti are at the top of that structure or that map. And then everything else is below it. In the tantric system, Tantra adds 11 more tattvas on top of Purusha and Prakriti and just makes the map a little more detailed 
and it shifts the focus of the map. And we talked about that a little bit in the Samkhya system, Purusha and Prakriti are separate, two different realities. In the tantric map, Shiva and Shakti are one. You just have one reality, everything is spirit. And if you want to look into it, so this is beyond the scope of this podcast, going deeper into the tapas, maybe sometime we'll try to tackle all of the 36 tapas of Tantra. That will probably be a five hour episode. So maybe we won't do that. But if you want to look at this map, this philosophical map, you could just on Google look for Tantra 36 tattvas, tattvas, T-A-T-T-V-A, or you could Google Samkhya tattvas, and I'll see if I can spell Samkhya really quick. S-A-M-K-H-Y-A, Samkhya tattvas. Just studying that map could take a lifetime. There's, there's a lot there, but many of the concepts that come from those maps are concepts that you'll hear quite often in yoga classes and in meditation classes. Just to take the map perspective one step farther, I think it's also important to acknowledge that different routes appeal to us at different times in life. And so at one point in your life, one route may make the most sense and feel the best for you. And then you may try a different one. And that's part of our experience is just continuing to navigate reality and find the route that feels best and then shift as we desire. So there's no, there's no right way. And I need to hear this more than anyone. There is no right way. It's all about preference and the experience and yeah, opting for scenery or or whatever it is along the way. So may we continue to navigate our reality through the lens of Purusha and Prakriti and consciousness and all of the two-sided coins in our experience. We would love to hear from you as always. Be sure to, if you're not already, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at yoga.chit.chat. Our website is www.yogachitchat.com. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. See you next time.